Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. This is episode number 12, and we post new episodes each week. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this so that you don't miss any shows. Today, I'm joined by one of my Basketball News colleagues who writes terrific articles and will soon be hosting a podcast of his own on this network. My guest is the great Nikias Duncan. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA. Thanks for joining me, Nikias. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, there's a lot to talk about right now. We have the big news that the Washington Wizards traded John Wall in a 2023 lottery-protected first-round pick to the Rockets for Russell Westbrook. Uh, there were rumors of this for about a week or two, and we discussed the possibility on our NBA free agency show, but now it actually happened and a pick was included. Uh, we'll get to both teams and how each player fits in a second, but overall, what did you make of this trade? Sure. What a question mark. I mean, that's that's basically <laughs> where I'm at with it. Like it, They're pretty much swapping out deck chairs. Um, their own art, there are some on-court arguments to be made for both sides liking the deal, but the big question mark is what exactly John Wall is going to look like. But just in a vacuum, I think if Russell Westbrook wanted to be out, if John Wall wanted to be out, trading them both to the opposite conference is a smart thing for each team to do. Um, both teams are making looking to make moves to keep their premier guy happy. John Wall in Houston, I mean uh, James Harden in Houston, Bradley Beal in Washington. So if those moves help them, you know, if it makes them happy, that makes them want to stay long term, then you do the trade ten out of ten times. Um, Houston being able to get a protected first out of the deal, or at least potentially being able to get a first out of this deal, I think is a good thing for them. Um, the protections on that pick are pretty tight, though. So if this ends up turning into a two seconds down the road type deal, I'm going to like this deal a lot less because you could talk about the warts in Russell Westbrook's game. We'll get to that in a minute. But Russell Westbrook did just make an all NBA team this past season. And John Wall hasn't really played basketball in two years. So even if John Wall returns to 90, 95 percent of himself, I mean, you can still make the argument that Westbrook's a better player. And if the first round pick isn't actually a first round pick, then that trade is going to look pretty bad moving forward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think with a situation like this, both of those contracts are just so bad that I, I think I think both teams, obviously, you know, we're looking around and trying to find a trade partner and there's really not a lot of options whenever you're talking about deals that are that big. It almost reminds me of like the Gilbert Arenas for Richard Lewis trade that happened years ago where, you know, basically both teams were like, ah, we're not really sure what to do. Let's, you know, let's go ahead and make this move. And everyone thought, you know, that at the time those contracts were semi untradeable, yet they got swapped for each other. Uh, I think we've learned that no, no deal in the NBA is untradeable. You just might not get a great deal. But I think this is a block buster because the names Russell Westbrook and John Wall but like you said it's one of those deals where you're just kind of like eh, I don't really know how I feel about this uh, e- either way but I-, I do think getting the first round pick is-, is a big deal I think that is probably my favorite part of the deal to be honest you recently broke down John Wall's film from his 2018-19 season and I know you were excited about seeing Wall and Bradley Beal playing together again uh, we don't know if James Harden will stay in Houston all season but how does Wall fit with this Rockets team as currently constructed uh, I think it's a fine fit. Again, we have to see what John Wall looks like. But if we're just let's just assume he's 85 percent of himself, he's still going to be a pretty fast guard. He's still a guy that can navigate pick and roll pretty well, Um, has fantastic court vision. So I just off the top, I don't think that teams will be able to double team James Harden 40 feet from the basket like they were with Russ. Just because as good as Russ was, um, there was some of the erratic play from him. 
and the jumper was just completely broken. So teams were fine giving him those four on three opportunities and banking on him to make the wrong decisions. And that really showed up in the playoffs. I think John Wall is a better passer, a slightly better decision maker with the ball. So I don't think you can give him those same type of looks. And with Houston adding a little bit more offensive talent, um, namely Christian Wood, um, I do think that there is room for the offense to improve. Um, defensively, John Wall has a better track record defensively than Russ, even though he has some of those same issues. He may uh, fall asleep off ball sometimes. The effort waxes and wanes if he's playing a Charlotte on a Tuesday night versus a really good team. But um, at peak level, John Wall is a multi-positional defender, got to get the passing lanes. Um, so I do think you may see a little bit of a bump there if he stays healthy. Um, the fit is, I mean, I think the fit is mostly fine. They're going to run most of the same offensive actions. Um, Houston's still going to run their pistol stuff with John Wall. In fact, the clip that I broke down on my uh, on my Twitter account, looking forward to the Wall Build partnership, um, it was basically one of Houston's more uh, more ran early offensive plays. So I think there's going to be a seamless fit there, just um, getting him going downhill against a bent defense. And instead of Bradley Beal spotting up and a guy like Thomas Bryant rolling down to the basket, it's going to be James Harden spotting up and you're going to have Christian Wood going downhill. So, I mean, there are there are seamless fits there. Um, for a wall, of course, it's just going to boil down to how healthy he is. Yeah, that's the big question here. I was about to bring that up. You know, ruptured Achilles, it, it's so concerning, especially for a player that relies so much on speed, athleticism, explosiveness. That's kind of the concern. You know, and everyone says, oh, he looks like the same John Wall. He looks amazing. Uh, I talked to Troy Brown Jr., who's our colleague at basketballnews.com, and he was saying that he went and worked out with John in California, and he looked amazing and basically like the John Wall that everyone knows and loves. So, I mean, everyone's saying the right things. I know Kevin Durant also talked about working out with John and him looking normal, but that Achilles injury, especially for a player with Wall's kind of skill set and just his strengths, it kind of concerns me. So it really comes down to, you know, how healthy he is at the end of the day, because it's not just the Achilles either. Like he's had a number of issues uh, with injuries in, you know, recent years. So, you know, he was out initially from a different injury and then injured his Achilles at home. So he's had a lot of injury issues. So yeah, I think that's definitely the big concern here. And then, you know, not only him, but like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, and I don't know what Cousins is going to I'm not sure what he's going to be with this Rockets team, like, you know, how much they're going to be relying on him. But, you know, they have a number of guys that kind of have that injury question mark hanging over them. Yes, I am. I'm a lot higher on the wall acquisition than the Cousins acquisition. Oh, for sure. A natural commitment is just night and day. I just I just don't know what DeMarcus Cousins is going to look like. Just he is just the prototype of player he was when he was healthy. He's a high volume guy. Um, he did add a three-point shot to his game, but he's still a guy that soaks up a lot of post possessions. And even at his peak, he was maybe slightly above average defensively at the peak of his powers. And now we're several leg injuries later, and the league as a whole has become more three-centric. Um, guys are spotting up, not just spotting up more, they're spotting up farther out. Pick and rolls are being ran higher. So now I just, I just don't know how DeMarcus Cousins is going to be playable in a playoff setting at all. I just don't trust him to defend in space. And if he hasn't turned into a 38% three-point shooter or better on moderate volume, then the offensive role is going to be a little clunky, especially alongside a guy like James Harden, who can be ISO or pick-and-roll heavy. John Wall, who's basically a pick-and-roll guy. So it's it's going to be an interesting fit. I do love the storyline of Wall and Cousins finally getting to play together. And if both of those guys can make health comebacks, I think that would be a great story. But just in terms of Houston actually playing for something, uh, it gets a little bit dicey for me. 
I totally agree. We we did a buy or sell uh, game on my last podcast with Spencer Davies, who is our colleague at basketballnews.com. And we talked about that. Like, you know, do you buy that Cousins can become a key contributor again? And I was saying, I, I don't see it. It sucks because, you know, he was so good before the injuries. And like you said, added a three-point shot. It was playing, you know, just amazing basketball. And then now you look at, you know, what he did during his stint with the Warriors in those 30 games. You know, he put up 16 and eight. I don't even think that, is you know to be expected uh when you look at you know this after all the injuries he's dealt with and kind of where he's at and kind of like you said how the game has continued to evolve I just don't think that he'll be that player anymore and it sucks but that's just kind of how I feel about it and I know you know he works out at impact basketball in Las Vegas and they've raved about him they said he's lost weight and they were really excited entering last season because they felt like you know he had finally kind of got back to the point where he was able to you know, look more like himself, you know, like he did before the Achilles injury. Speaking of Achilles, um, they were saying that, you know, losing the weight and working out every day and stuff like that had really helped him. And they were thinking, you know, this is going to be his big year with the Lakers. He's going to really show everyone that he's bouncing back and he's going to be better than he was in Golden State. And then obviously another injury down for the season. So I, I don't I don't know what to expect from him, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I have some doubts just based on kind of what we've seen last from him and then just all the injuries he's dealt with. But I'm hoping he does well. And like you said, it is a cool story. Him and Wall finally teaming up. I know they had talked about it for a while and have that Kentucky uh, connection. So hopefully he can play well and and come back. But I I have my doubts as well. Uh, Let's talk about the... Russell Westbrook acquisition for Washington. You know, he's reuniting with Scott Brooks, another fun story. Uh, what do you think of the Westbrook Beal backcourt? Um, I think this is going to help Beal. It's going to take pressure off of him. Um, John, I mean, Bradley Beal has obviously ascended to one of the, what, 20 or so, 20, 25 best players in the league since John Wall has been out. Yeah. Like the, the amount of on ball reps that he's gotten just because there hasn't been a consistent point guard presence there has helped his game tremendously. He's a much better passer. The shooting has already always been there. Off the ball scoring, ah, the off the dribble scoring, there we go, <laughs> has gotten much better. So he's just a more well-rounded player. But having a guy like Russell Westbrook who can get to the basket without a screen, basically whenever he wants to, um, I think that's going to be huge for creating easier looks for Bill. Um, again, we haven't seen Wall in basically two years, and even when Wall was healthy, he wasn't as good as Russell Westbrook was. So they are not only taking pressure off a of bill, they're just getting a flat out better player than Wall was. So I think it's a really relatively easy call to make that Washington has gotten better with this trade. I mean, assuming that Westbrook stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was surprised uh, they were able to kind of pull this off, to be honest, just because not only was Westbrook the better player when they were healthy, but then you throw in, like we said, the injuries to Wall and kind of the question marks there. You know, I'm surprised that Houston did this, just to be honest. Uh, I think. Uh, the pick obviously helps, but I guess what's the ceiling for this Washington team? Because, you know, they're entering this year with obviously playoff aspirations. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. did an article for us at Basketball News and talked about that, how, you know, basically everyone's talking about, the, you know, this year they have to make the playoffs and end that drought. And I know, you know, they've they've really had kind of a quiet offseason. They re-signed their own guys, but they didn't really make a whole lot of moves. Uh, their biggest additions were through the draft. But when you look at, uh, obviously, this is like their big move of the offseason, but What's the ceiling for this this Wizards team now? Um, I mean, if healthy, like I definitely think they can get to eight, seven or eight of, or at the very least, you know, if everyone stays relatively healthy, they would they should be in range to force a play in, and then you just kind of go from there. Again, Russell Westbrook made an All NBA team last season, 
as much as we can talk about the warts in his game, and he does have them in a playoff setting, he is still one of the best floor raisers in the league. If he's on your team and if he's healthy, your team is probably is going to be good enough to make the playoffs. That's just been his track record. So I do think that, I mean, with a one-two punch like Wall, I mean, like uh, Westbrook and Bill, I mean, you're looking at 55, 60 points between those two just off of the strip of their own talent. Um, this is going to be the most spacing that Russell Westbrook has had in a while, which sounds uh, funny to say considering he just left Houston and they bombed threes. But Houston um, generally buries teams with volume of threes more so than the efficiency. They don't have a lot of great shooters there. Um, Russell Westbrook being able to run pick and pops with Davies Bertans is a terrifying thought, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bertans just kind of firing off the move for 35 feet. Like, it just kind of doesn't matter. Again, Bill's a really good shooter. Um, Ty, Thomas Bryant is a solid pick-and-pop big. Uh, they're, they're going to run. I think it's going to be a team that's going to be up there in terms of pace. They have shooters all over the floor. Westbrook can get to the rim when he wants to. Bill can't, too. But now when you have a guy like Westbrook, Bill doesn't have so much of a creation burden. Um, the off, I think they're probably going to be a top seven, top eight offense. I have no clue who they're going to defend, and that's where I just kind of lose all interest in this team. Um, if they do make the eight seed, like a team like Milwaukee's probably just gonna blitz them because I, they, I mean, who who are they stopping? And I don't want to be disrespectful to our colleague Troy Brown, who does his work defensively, but <laughs> beyond him, there just isn't a lot of defensive talent on this roster. So they're going to be a fun team to watch the regular season. I do think they have the offensive horses to push for an eight seed. The race for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference is so interesting because, you know, you obviously last year had the Orlando Magic in the eighth seed. They're, they basically bring back their, their, their whole roster. You have, uh, the Atlanta Hawks going out, making a ton of win now moves. You have this trade for Washington. You know, they finished 10th last year. Charlotte, you know, obviously we, we joke about, uh, the Gordon Hayward contract and, and what they did, but adding, Hayward, LaMelo Ball, they've made some moves. Uh, the Detroit Pistons added all the centers in the world. Um, I, I don't know. I think when you look at like Orlando, Atlanta, uh, Washington, it's going to be interesting to see kind of this race for the eighth in the uh, Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's a – I don't want to say it's a deep field because, I mean, we still don't know how good those actual teams are going to be. But it's definitely going to be congested. Um, I'm a little bit lower on Orlando just because Jonathan Isaac isn't going to play and it doesn't seem like Orlando has done much to solve their spacing issues over this offseason. So I'm, I'm still kind of fuzzy on them. Like Steve Clifford's going to have those guys playing hard defensively. They're not going to turn the ball over. So they're always going to be in games just because of the length and the discipline that they have. But the offensive talent is just kind of bleh for me. Um, again, the bottom of the East has gotten a little bit stronger. Like Atlanta's really trying to make a push here. Washington with Westbrook and Bill is going to be fun to watch for 72 games at least. It's, it's going to be tied at the bottom. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, the other big mo- uh, move that happened, you know, in the last 24 hours was Anthony Davis signing a five-year, $190 million deal with the Lakers. Now, everyone knew he was going to go back to Los Angeles. It wasn't a big surprise. But the question was, you know, what kind of contract would he sign? There were rumors that, you know, he was looking at a one- or two-year deal, kind of something more short-term where he had the option to leave or at least kind of use that uh, as leverage to get certain things done or force the Lakers to do certain things. But instead, he commits for a five-year deal. Now, 
there is an early termination option for the final year. So he does have the ability to leave after four years if he wants to. But I think this is the best case scenario for the Lakers. I mean, they just extended LeBron James for two more years uh, yesterday. Now you add Anthony Davis on a five-year contract. I mean, we've all talked about this Clipper situation with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the short-term deals that they signed and kind of the pressure that that puts on the organization. And just, it makes it hard because if you're the Clippers, you know, they mortgaged their future for these guys and traded a bunch of first-round picks and young talent. And then, you know, the guys could leave after two years. Uh, That's, you know, the big concern there. With a deal like this, Anthony Davis, you know, signing a five-year deal, I think that's huge for the Lakers. And they've had an amazing offseason. I've been really impressed with what they were able to do. Like, not only just... AD and the LeBron extension, but Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, Wes Matthews, Marcus Saul. I mean, it's been an amazing offseason for the Lakers. Have you been impressed with what they've been able to do? Oh, absolutely. They have they have won the offseason by a substantial margin, I feel like. Um, even if you just take out the LeBron and Browse recent um extensions. Yeah. Once you add I mean, you're swapping out Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee with Montrez Harrell and Marcus Saul. <laughs> like I mean that I mean, that's just a win from your front court. And just the, the sheer size of their front court was one of the major reasons they were so good defensively. And, I mean, in, in part offensively because they could just clean the offensive glass after misses as well. So once you upgrade there and get more skill in the position while, while not losing a lot of size, like Montrez Harrell is the smaller guy out of, those, out of those four guys, but he plays so physical. And, again, Marcus Gasol just adds an entirely different dynamic in terms of the shooting, in terms of the high post passing. And he's a fantastic defender still. Those are just fantastic front court upgrades. You swap out Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. Um, the Lakers, one of the weaknesses they did have was kind of that um, on ball creation beyond LeBron. So being able to add Dennis Schroeder, who had a strong case for six man of the year last year, um, had a career year shooting the ball, um, still one of the fastest cars in the league. I mean, adding him juices their attack some. Um, and then after losing Danny Green in that trade, you get Wes Matthews for basically what the biannual exception, I believe is what it was. I think so, yeah. So, I mean, he's a guy that's going to knock down between 35, 38% of his threes. Um, he can post up a point guard if you switch one on him. Um, if you want to put one of your bigger wings on LeBron, so he's a guy that can get you a bucket that way if you want to go to it. And then defensively, he just hounds wings. Um, you don't want to put him on point guards, but if you have – you know, a James Harden type, if you have, um, I mean, just going back to the playoffs last year, the work that he did on Jimmy Butler was just a marvel to watch. The Bucs as a whole got washed in that five-game series, but Wes Matthews was the one guy, night in, night out, just bo- just pestering and bothering Jimmy Butler. Butler couldn't post him up. He couldn't lose him with those screens and pick and roll. He would duck under and get right back into his chest. Um, Butler had his way with just about everyone except Wes Matthews in that series. So when you replace Danny Green – with a guy like Wes Matthews that takes, you know, that continues to take that pressure off of LeBron James. LeBron can be that helper, kind of roam weak side, pick off passes, provide some shot blocking. And you have Wes Matthews taking those tough assignments. You're not losing much defensively at all there. So the Lakers have just done a fantastic job of strengthening their strengths. They closed up one of their weaknesses. And then you look around the rest of the Western Conference. You know, other teams have made moves, but none have put themselves in the class of the Lakers. So I, I think the Lakers now have the opportunity to rest up their guys a little bit during the regular season. LeBron doesn't have to do too much during the 72 game skid. You know I'm saying adding another ball handle like Dennis Schroeder that could take some pressure off. Like um, Schroeder recently made waves wanting to be the starting point guard. We'll see how that goes. But just if he does come off the bench, 
you know, having that shooter Harold pick and roll just gives them building scoring. Um, one of the other issues the Lakers had last year was what happened to the offense when LeBron was off the court. I think that's going to improve quite a bit. It, it's hard to poke holes in this Lakers team at this point. I mean, maybe they're still a smidgen short on actual shooting, but even then, like, again, the dynamic Gasol brought LeBron. I mean, he's just one of the best passers ever. So even if the spacing does get tight, he can still make every pass in the book and create an open look. So it's the Lakers are just kind of running away with this thing. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me either, you know, if like come buyout season, you know, during the year, they're able to add another piece just because the Lakers are always that team that, you know, people want to go play in L.A. A lot of guys love L.A. It's, you know, great weather and um, it's an attractive franchise. They're on national TV a ton. You throw in the fact that now, you know, they're the favorite to win the championship. It wouldn't surprise me if they could make another move during the, the season as well, you know, to add shooting or, or address some of their needs if there's injuries or whatever. Just that's always an attractive destination whenever we see buyouts or players get waived. So it's possible they could add even more, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, it's a, it was, this was a fantastic offseason. I'm so impressed with what they were able to do. And then let's talk a little bit about the uh, five year contract for Anthony Davis because. I think that is a huge win. You know, whenever they acquired Davis, there were some people saying, oh, they gave up too much. Um, you know, they shouldn't have given up all those players and picks. Uh, he could leave, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think it was always pretty clear he was going to stay just because they don't make that move. They weren't pretty sure he was going to stay long term. And the clutch sports factor uh, definitely helps the kind of having that connection there. But to get him on a five year contract after winning a championship, I mean, that I mean, I don't think it's any question now that that move was the right move for the Lakers. But, you know, what do you make of the five year deal and just what this allows the Lakers to do going forward? Um. I mean, as you said, I don't think there was much risk in Anthony Davis actually leaving. Um, I think when they made the trade and swapped out all those young guys that came under the understanding that he was going to be the long term. So, I mean, that's obviously a great thing for the Lakers to have him locked up. You just don't have to worry about that at all. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that Anthony Davis took the five-year deal. Um, Maybe he's looking ahead to what the salary cap may do a year from now if things don't get better in terms of the pandemic and what that means for the revenue of the league. But I was just always under the assumption that Anthony Davis would take a one plus one or a two plus one, whatever would take him to that 10 year marker and then signing for that 35% max. I'm just a little bit surprised that he took the five years now instead yeah. of doing, but ultimately if he's going to be there long term, I mean, it's, it's tough to sneeze at a few, uh, at that many million dollars of difference. But I mean, the money is the money. Like you're in LA, you've won the ring, you're playing with LeBron James, so I don't think it really matters too much for him. So if he wants to lock in that money now, I mean, that's that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's a win for the Lakers. It really is the best case scenario for them. So uh, props to them for the offseason they've had. Uh, let's talk about the Miami Heat. You've done a great job covering this Heat team in recent years. They had an interesting offseason, you know, adding Avery Bradley, Mo Harkless, Precious Achua, and re-signing a lot of their own free agents. What, did you, what do you make of Miami in their offseason? I think they had a fine offseason. Um, if there was one question mark, it was probably giving Myers Leonard the basically a mid-level exception size um, deal. Things like two years, $20 million team option on the second year. Isn't a big deal because, again, they just keep that flexibility for 2021. Um, they signed a bunch of guys to one plus one, so it doesn't really matter too much. Um, I think it was a fine offseason. Um, the big thing for them, I believe, is addressing their point of attack defense with the signing of Avery Bradley. Um, I think that was the biggest issue of their defense last year. Um, the Heat have been basically a top 10 defense since Eric Spolcher took over back in 2009. Um, they slipped massively last year. They just could not keep guards under control at all. 
Um, Avery Bradley has his physical limitations, um, doesn't have a massive wingspan, only 6'2". The one thing that he can do at a high level is defend point guards, and that's really what Miami needed. So just having that guy in there helps them with their defense. Um, the Heat are probably going to be more of a switch team in the postseason like we saw last year. But during the regular season, they want to play a more conservative style. Um, that allows them to start a guy like Myers Leonard at the five, so you can kind of save some of the wear and tear for Bam out of bio, let him play the four for the regular season, and then downsize later. Um, having a guy like Avery Bradley to hound point guards over screens, that's going to help the rest of the defense. And if they get more stops, that gives them more transition opportunities, that lets them get into their early offense better, and they were a really good offensive team last year. So you account for the talent that they already have, um, some internal growth from Bam out of bio who took the leap to stardom borderline superstardom last postseason. Um, Tyler Hero, who showed out during the postseason, double-digit scoring in every game, had a 37-point masterpiece against Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Duncan Robinson coming off of one of the greatest, highest-volume shooting seasons ever. Um, they have a young stable of guys. They have smart veterans that know their roles. Um, the flyer on Harkless is something that I like. Um, not sure he's going to be able to completely replace what Jay Crowder brought offensively because Crowder is a better shooter and a more willing shooter. So there are going to be some adjustments there. But in terms of the defensive versatility, Mo Harkless is a guy that can defend wings, that can defend forwards. Um, they're not going to miss much defensively there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how much of a role Precious Achua actually has because the front court is a little bit deep. And it's a short turnaround with no summer league. Training camp is going to be shortened. Um, only a handful of uh, preseason games. I think, uh, if I remember looking at the schedule correctly, I think the Heat only opted to have two preseason games this year, yeah. which is an interesting decision on their part. But in terms of just their practice habits, like they, the intensity of their practices of their training camps are typically up there in terms against the rest of the league anyway. So maybe they're not going to miss out on playing other teams as much as another team would if they opted for two games. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. This Heat team is deep. They know who they are. They're very talented. There's room for internal growth. So I know there are probably Heat fans upset that, you know, they don't have a real answer on the Giannis thing. Um, Bam taking the extension now versus waiting next year, which is a dumb thing to complain about. I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. You lock him up when you can. But uh, being upset about him taking the extension now versus next year so they would have the guaranteed max spot for a guy like Giannis, I'm sure there's a frustration there. But overall, Miami handled this offseason pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the Harkless uh, addition as well. You know, Harkless is someone that he's a great defender, but then his three-point shooting, it's just so streaky. You know, like you look at his career and I mean, I covered him in Orlando and got to know him pretty well, but like he shoots, you know, 27% as a rookie, then 38%. Everyone's like, oh, he finally figured out his shot. Now he's good to go from three next year, 17%. And, and But then there are years like in recent years, you know, with Portland in 2017, he shoots 41.5% from three. So, I mean, there are some years where he just can't hit anything and is really struggling from three. And there's been some years where he's super efficient and, and knocking down threes. So he's kind of been, it, it's really interesting to see kind of which Mo Harkless shows up as far as his shot. But yeah, I mean, even when he's not knocking down a ton of shots, he's still, you know, super impactful on the defensive end. And, um, you know, he's a good locker room guy as well. So yeah, I like that pickup. I mean, I, it's interesting too. I think you're right. Miami fans, they were going to this offseason thinking, oh, Giannis, Victor Oladipo, you know, Bradley Beal. I kept hearing like a lot of big names mentioned. So, you know, not getting one of those guys, I'm sure some fans are kind of disappointed, but I'm sure, you know, 
long term, Pat Riley knows what he's doing. He has some things up his sleeve. So we'll see kind of what happens over the next few years. But um, I, I don't hate their offseason. One thing that I want to ask you about, I know there's been a lot of talk about Miami's run to the finals and you know, people around the NBA think maybe it was a fluke. There was a report uh, saying that a lot of teams are saying, oh, that was because of the bubble atmosphere. It just fits what they do really well. Kind of the way their culture is and the way they run their team, you know, it really kind of helped them being in that kind of environment. But, you know, there's a lot of doubt that they can kind of uh, have another NBA finals type run and, and, you know, have that kind of success again. And that's kind of flukish. What do you think of that? Do you think that we could see Miami, you know, return to the NBA finals or, you know, do you think it is somewhat of a fluke? Like we've heard some executives or other teams suggest. Uh, I don't think it's a fluke. Um, I think with any playoff run, you need a little bit of luck. I think for Miami, that luck came in the seating just because I think they matched up, even though they ended up beating Boston in the East Conference Finals, um, I think they matched up better with Milwaukee last year than a potential second-round matchup with Boston or Toronto. So I think falling in that 4-5 bracket helped them on their run. Um, I did not – I ended up uh, predicting that the Heat would beat the Bucks in six. I did not know that they were just going to go 3-0 um, and just kind of dominate the series overall. That wasn't a thing I anticipated. But the Heat always had the capability to beat Milwaukee. Um, you never want to put too much into the regular season meetings. But the Heat, I mean, they won their first matchup against Milwaukee without Jimmy Butler. Um, they won the second one in pretty convincing set fashion. Um, it took basically a ridiculous fourth quarter comeback for Milwaukee to, to take one regular season win. And that was with, I think, Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic missing that game. So they've, they had their number all year long. And the way that they shrunk the court against Milwaukee, I think it really hurt what the Bucs wanted to do for the second year in a row. Um, they did get some anomalous shooting from Jay Crowder, who kind of carried over the hot shooting in Miami from the, the regular season during the playoffs. He finally cooled off against Boston, and that made that series a little bit tighter. But again, Miami ended up pulling that off as well. So I think what the Heat have are two guys that can can dominate a matchup. Jimmy Butler was fantastic throughout the entire postseason. We saw that culminate in the finals when he had that, what, 40-point triple-double or whatever it was. He's a guy that could be the best player on the court on any given night. Um, Bam Adebayo, just because of the skill set that he has, the length and size that he has, the athleticism that he has, he is a miss, He's a matchup nightmare for opposing centers. You know, for a guy like a Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis, he's too quick. For a guy like Daniel Tice, they're like size, but Bam is too physical for him. I mean, he there there aren't many matchups like Anthony Davis, those kind of guys. Anthony Davis, your Giannis, if you consider him a big, those are the kind of guys that can neutralize Bam. And if you don't have one of those guys, Bam's going to have an advantage somewhere. It's going to be in physicality or it's just going to be in the skill level, in the athleticism. So once you have that built in and then you add in the shooting of Tyler Hero as a spot of guy or off movement, Duncan Robinson working on those dribble handoffs, him and Bam had basically the most efficient partnership in the NBA last year. Um, Goran Dragic, a guy that can run a pick and roll for you or spot up and hit threes. And then they just have a bunch of defenders that you can just kind of throw out. Last year was Jay Crowder and Derrick Jones Jr. This year is going to be Mo Harkless, Avery Bradley, in addition to Bam and Butler. They just have a lot of different ways to play, a lot of different ways to beat you. And when you have a team that's that deep, that well coached, and that versatile on both ends of the floor, the Heat, you know, shifting from a drop defense to a switching defense to when they go to Boston, they're playing more zone, they're trapping pick and rolls against Kimball Walker. They can just do a lot of different things. 
that bodes well for a playoff setting because they can just kind of mix and match whatever they need to do according to who they're playing. So I don't think that part is fluky, and I think Miami got just a, a hair better than they were last year. Um, we'll see how the other teams um, how the other teams do. I mean, Philadelphia's had a fantastic offseason. I think Boston, you know, they lost Gordon Hayward by adding Jeff Teague and adding Tristan Thompson. I think that's going to be huge for them. The top of the East has gotten stronger, um, Milwaukee with Drew Holiday, but Miami's going to be right there. They have the pedigree. They have the talent. They have the coaching. They have the experience now. And now you get all this fluke talk with a locker room full of guys that are basically handpicked because of their mentality yeah. and the way that they go their work. You're you're giving them bulletin board material, which sounds cliche, but for the Heat, their entire their entire organization is built on hard work and bulletin board material. Like that's that's how they handpick their roster. That's why Jimmy Butler fits in so well. That's why Miami honed in on Bam Adebayo when hardly no one, including myself, the, the tweets are out there knew who he was and what he could do. And now you see this big developmental leap that he's taken in two or three years, and now he's one of the best big in the, in the league. Tyler Hero, another guy like that, you know, was getting death threats when he spurned Wisconsin and went to Kentucky for college. Like, he, they're all mentally strong dudes. So now you're just giving them that off of the run that they just made and feeling like there's unfinished business anyway. I'm not sure why you would do that to the Heat team. That's a great point. Yeah, well said. Um, so if you had to pick right now – which teams do you have in the NBA Finals, and who do you have winning it all? Um, I think you pencil in the Lakers. Like I, I think just off rip. If you always have to assume good health, but if everyone's relatively healthy, like I think the Lakers are winning the title. That I mean, that's just too much talent. The one-two punch of Anthony Davis and LeBron James was a lot, and they got substantially better just about everywhere. So I think the Lakers are going to win the title. As far as coming out of the East, I kind of lean Miami right now. Um, I think it's going to be a Miami, um, Milwaukee Easter Conference Finals. Same. And I think I think Miami can get that done again, because Milwaukee did improve. And I think there's an argument to be made that swapping out Drew Hall, swapping out Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday should be enough, because I think what people, what some people kind of get lost in terms of the Bucks, they did lose in the second round, but like they were so dominant on both ends of the floor in both years they lost in the second round. And then you have, I mean, last year's the Giannis injury, but Miami was already winning that series. But in general, they have Giannis, they have Chris Milton, they have a strong defensive infrastructure. It's just the margins for them, really. Um, and once you have Eric Bledsoe just kind of you know, dropping the spaghetti, whatever phrase you want to use, <laughs> in consecutive uh, postseason, swapping him out for Drew Holiday, even if he isn't the... Chris Paul-like off-the-dribble threat that you need to compliment Giannis, just being better than Eric Bledsoe could be enough for a historically good offense, a historically good defense to make it to the finals. So, like, I don't think it's going to be Miami in five. Like, I think it's going to be a six- or seven-game series. Like, I would lean Miami just because of the experience and they still have mismatches to exploit. But I think we can't undersell just what Drew Holiday might mean to that team. I mean, he's a all, former all-star in his own right, but also the postseason drops that Eric Bledsoe has had. If Eric Bledsoe played average basketball last year, you can make an argument that Milwaukee at least pushes that series to six or seven, or they can outright win it. You know, the, the issue is that Bledsoe was just outright bad in combination with the rotation decisions from Bud, from Budenholzer, Giannis eventually getting hurt. Um, Chris Middleton having a little bit too much on his plate once Giannis went hurt, I mean, went down. So 
the Bucks are going to be there. I feel like if they're healthy, they're going to be there. Their bench is fine just because of the defensive infrastructure that they already have. You know, Brent Forbes isn't a good defender. Um, guys like Bobby Porter isn't a good defender, guys like that. But if you're surrounding those guys with one of Brooke Lopez or Giannis Antetokounmpo at all times, I don't think it matters too much. And they all can shoot and they all can score a little bit. So I think that's going to help. And Drew Holiday is really good. So the Bucs are going to be up there. I, I would still lean Miami slightly. So I say Miami Lakers finals again. And I think the Lakers get it done again. Yeah, I had Lakers over Bucks, but you make some good points. The matchup for Miami is really good against Milwaukee. So I also have, you know, Milwaukee, Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be a really close series between, you know, the Bucks and the Heat. But, yeah, I have the Lakers, you know, winning right now, you know, beating whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference just because that, it's hard to pick against the Lakers with how they look right now. Um, just a few more things. What are some of your favorite under-the-radar moves that have been made this offseason? You know, you were on the free agency show that we did for BasketballNews.com. We basically went through and reacted every time there was a different report or rumor that was out there. And I thought your analysis was was really good, and, and you kind of broke down some of your favorite, you know, under-the-radar free agents that were out there. But now that we kind of have an idea of the biggest moves that have been made, what are some of your favorite under-the-radar moves that were made? Um, if we're going truly under the radar, like I like Harry Giles to Portland. Um, I think him being able to play play off of a Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum operating in so much space and really showcase the athleticism and the passing ability that he has, I think that's going to be huge for him. Um, after Toronto lost basically their starting front court, um, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Ole, both out of there, um, being able to respond with Aaron Baines, who is really freaking good. And his fan club might be better than he is, which is very high praise. Uh, being able to get him, uh, I think that was a strong move for them. He's going to have some fantastic chemistry with Kyle Lowry, just setting those bone-crushing screens and prying them loose. Um, just staying in Toronto, I have been banging the drum for DeAndre Bembry for like a year and a half. Yeah. Like, that is that is just that's one funky dude. He can't really shoot. But he's just all over the place, flying in for offensive rebounds. He's playing the passing lanes. He's providing some shot blocking from time to time, just flying around defensively. Just a firecracker in transition, underrated passer. Uh, I think just adding that organized chaos to that second unit is going to be fun to watch for a team like Toronto, who already like claws and scratches out games and stuff as well. And they do a lot of funky stuff on defense with the, the zones and things that they throw out there. I think DeAndre Bembry is going to be a lot of fun for them. No, I like that. I think uh, Glenn Robinson III to the Sacramento Kings on a veteran minimum deal, that was a surprise to me. I think that was a nice pickup. I, li- I like uh, some of the bench players that Phoenix was able to add. Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. You know, I, I think I like their offseason. Uh, you know, obviously the Chris Paul move was the huge move, but I think they did a solid job of kind of filling out that team and, you know, bringing in some shooting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts on that. Uh, so looking at the offseason overall, which teams do you feel improved the most and did the best job of addressing their needs? Aside from the Lakers, because we already talked about them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the Lakers were the easy ones. Um, I guess just springboard off, spring, uh, back off of what you just said, uh, Phoenix did a fantastic job. Um, you improved from Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul. Um, they added a lot of front court depth. Um, I think Jay Crowder is going to be really good for them at the four. Um, Etwan Moore to add some shooting. Um, Langston Galloway to add some shooting as well. Um, if they're healthy, they are well positioned to make a playoff team. I think they could challenge for a top four, top five seed. Honestly, I think they're that good. Devin Booker's that good. Um, DeAndre Ayton, if he uh, can get out of his own way this year, I think he's going to have a massive impact on both ends of the floor. We know what Chris Paul can do on both ends of the floor. Mikael Bridges, one of the best defenders in the league already. Um, I, 
cannot wait for Phoenix to get more national exposure so teams so people can really see how good Mikael Bridges is on the defensive end. He's he's all arms. <laughs> you just can't get away from him. I think he's going to be fun to watch. Just a lot of young talent on that team. And they, Phoenix did a great job surrounding them with veterans that know how to win and also complement that young core. So really like what Phoenix did. I'm trying to figure out how much I like Atlanta's offseason. Like in terms of the talent added, they did a fantastic job. But I also feel like they created some questions on the team, particularly in the front court. Um, Danilo Gallinari is really good. Um, Rajon Rondo, I think, is going to help take some pressure off of Trey Young in terms of ball handling. Chris Dunn is an absurd defender. We don't know what else. He, he can he can defend his butt off and he can get to the rim. We don't know if he can finish yet. We don't know about the passing reads yet. We don't know about the shooting yet. But he can do those two things, and I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting um, foundation to work from. So I think he's going to be fun, just kind of hounding guards for 20 minutes. Um, going back to the draft on Yeka Kongu, I felt like was – Honestly, I think he was like the more sure thing in the draft this year. Yeah. Just what he yeah. could do defensively. Um, the BAM comps are out there. I'm not sure how fair that is, but he does have some ball skill, has some passing ability, can roll on um, tremendous length and can switch out defensively. I think he's going to be fun for them. But now you just look at that front court and it's like Clint Capella's there. They just drafted on Yeka Kongu. Danilo Gallinari is pretty strictly a four. Um, DeAndre Hunter was basically a wing stopper in college, but I think he looked more comfortable playing the four than he did at the three. And John Collins is kind of sitting there with the extension window getting close. So I'm interested to see what that means for him. Um, I've already heard from someone close to John, like, hey, don't overthink this. I think they're going to work out an extension. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, but that's going to be a interesting storyline to watch moving forward. But the team is definitely more talented. I think Trey Young is not going to have as big of a burden on him as he did in years past. And we'll see. Let's see what that means for his defensive aptitude because he was just flat out off for the first two years, years of his career. And, you know, you can attribute a chunk of that to him having to be the entire offense. But now he won't have to do that. So let's see if he can go from worst defender in the league to bottom 10, bottom 15 defender just because <laughs> of the size. I mean, and that's still that's still bad, obviously. But even that yeah. kind of belief could it. be enough to put, to put Atlanta into the playoff hunt because we know what he can do offensively. He can pull up from anywhere. He's one of the best passes in the league. Um, draws fouls at a very high rate for a guy his size. Um, he's got all of the little tricks and annoying things <laughs> to draw fouls that a small guard needs to succeed already. Can get to the rim, can finish at the rim. I mean, he's the complete package offensively. Defense is where he needs to make the leap. And now that he doesn't have to carry the offense, let's see if that improves his effort, if his effort improves. Um, just another year in the league, let's see if he learns a little bit more about screen avoidance and things of that nature. What can Rondo teach him on that front? Um, having a guy like Chris Dunn in the locker room to kind of push him on that end as well. Let's see. It's going to be a big year for Trey, I feel like. No, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, Phoenix was one of the teams that I thought of, you know, Philly, just the job they did this offseason. You you mentioned it earlier, but just the fact they were able to add so much shooting with, you know, Seth Curry, Danny Green, um, you know, Dwight Howard now behind Joel Embiid. Uh, I think they just did a great job. You know, Terrence Ferguson, they, I think they addressed a lot of their needs. And uh, I think, you know, Daryl Morey did a solid job there, you know, after joining the uh, organization. So, yeah, those are a few, few teams that came to mind for me, too. Uh, last thing for you. What, which teams did the worst job? Which teams, you know, are you scratching your head over their moves? Uh, I feel like I know one team you're going to mention, but which team do you feel like, you know, didn't do a great job? Yeah, Detroit, can we talk about it? <laughs> I, like, I get at a, 
at a certain point, you know, there are salary cap floors you have to reach. You know, if you have a bunch of cap space, even in a bit in a bad class, you have to spend at least a little bit of money. I don't get committing a whole bunch of money to Jeremy Grant as good as he is. Because like he I don't think he's a guy that gets you to where you need to go. Like Jeremy Grant is the kind of addition to a hey, we just made the playoffs as a seven seed. We're trending upwards. We have a big hole at the four. Let's get this young guy to grow with the rest of the crew. Yeah. Like he's a guy that that he takes you to the next level. Jeremy Grant isn't a guy you pay at the beginning of a rebuild. Because by the time, if you build this thing out correctly, you know what I'm saying? Let's say, let's say Killian Hayes a guy that I like. Let's say he's really good. Let's say the Pistons are bad, really bad this year to get the top three pick in next year's draft and it's loaded. Um, if they win the lottery, they get a guy like Cade Cunningham, or if they don't, you get Evan Mobley or whoever, or whatever you want to do. By the time those guys grow and they're a fearsome young tandem and they're ready to make some playoff noise, Jeremy Grant's going to be expiring. He's going to be, what, 29 or 30 looking for another deal. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, adding a bunch of centers, they get Jaleel Okafor, they get Mason Plumlee. It's just a lot of bigs for no apparent reason, I guess. After drafting I, I Isaiah Stewart. After drafting Isaiah Stewart, which is a questionable pick in and of itself, and you sign all of these bigs and Christian Wood is just going to Houston in a signing trade. Like you, it seems like you, if you wanted a talented big, you have one. Yep. Like keep like, that's a young guy that you could keep and pay. He's, he's yours. So I just didn't get that. Um, another one, uh, my guy, Chris Heron brought this up on the low post pod and I agree with him. Um, Cleveland just, they drafted Isaac Okoro, but outside of that, have they done anything to address their defense? Like I, I didn't really get, that offseason, like they didn't have to spend a bunch of money, but like if Chris Dunn goes for what four mil or whatever it was in Atlanta, like surely Cleveland could have did that. Um, they need some help on the wing. Um, I mean, you can't if Isaac Okoro is your best wing defender as a rookie with no training camp and no summer league, that kind of speaks to the lack of defensive talent that you have in your room. Like you can't put that much pressure on a guy like Isaac Okoro. Um, I I really didn't understand the lack of movement there. Um, was not a fan of the Hayward contract for Charlotte. Yeah, that's what I was going to um, say, too. That was my next one, yep. Yeah, like, I, I get it, uh, especially when he's upright. He is talented. He is a guy that can score on all three levels. He is a good passer, um, can play the three-order four for you. Like, I, I mean, the offensive, I mean, the fit is clear, but four years, $120 million, that's... I mean, obviously, that's a lot. And also, just kind of like similar to the Jeremy Grant point, does Gordon Hayward take you to the next step? Like, I'm not I'm not sure if he alone takes Charlotte to play in stage. I'm not sure that takes him to the playoffs. And if not, I mean, you're looking at the life of that deal. Let's say LaMelo Ball, you know, he becomes one of the best players from this draft class. Um, let's say Devontae Graham continues to shoot lights out on pull-up threes. If P.J. Washington continues to be – the talent that he was, one of the most underrated rookies from last season. Just He's a tremendous talent. Let's say they all grow together. Two years, three years down the road, Gordon Hayward is, what, 32, 33? With a year left on that deal, and Charlotte is the sixth seed, fifth seed? Like, what Like what are what are they building towards? I just, I didn't get committing that much money to Gordon Hayward. Like, I, I feel like the better bet there, add a bunch of, add a bunch of, um, Bets, add your like your Justin Holiday type guys on one plus one deals to kind of roll over that money. Um, be bad, grow your young talent, put yourself in the Cade Cunningham sweet stakes for next year because he's gonna be worth it. 
And then you build from there. I didn't get committing that much to Gordon Hayward when he doesn't really take you too much further than you are right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And you did you did a great article for basketballnews.com breaking down the winners and losers of free agency. And you I thought your your section about Charlotte was really was was great. You know, you basically said Hayward hasn't been an all-star in three seasons. He played 125 games over the past three seasons, and he may still be dealing with, uh, you know, a nerve issue in his foot from, you know, his gruesome injury back in 2017. So there's just a lot of, it's not even just the money. There's concerns about Hayward, you know, and and committing that much to him. So yeah, it's, it's just about, uh, like you said, the fit is there, but I don't think for what they're paying him, I don't think there's going to be enough return on investment. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. So I don't, I don't really understand it either. I, I feel like this is a bigger conversation, but we see this all the time where teams get impatient, you know, rather than kind of being, uh, slowing things down and, and being patient and, and grabbing young guys and dealing with, you know, a few years where they're not as competitive. They try to make these moves where they try to rush the process. And it's like, Oh, Hey, we could just add Gordon Hayward and become a playoff team. Or even, I mean, going back to kind of what you were saying about how you weren't sure about Atlanta, whether you love it or not with their moves, it felt like, you know, that was kind of like a, Oh, well, we've been young and rebuilding long enough. We got to make the playoffs. So they go after these win now veterans. And I think part of it is like ownership pressure. Typically that that's always a factor. Um, sometimes the executives worry they're going to lose their job. So, you know, they have to go out and make some moves. And even if they know, okay, well, we're rock, we're not going to be a contender, but we can't be, you know, bottom three in the East anymore. We got to, you know, try to climb the standings a bit. I, I think it's so interesting because the organizations that I feel like do the best job are the ones that are kind of patient and hands off and saying, okay, it's okay if we're, you know, not great this season, we're going to just keep building toward the future. And we're all on the same page and have a long-term plan. Let's execute it versus these kind of moves where you're rushing and spending all this money just to be a few games better. I, I don't know. I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's like rebuilding is hard and I get that like clearing the roster. Those kind of moves are the easy part. Nailing the young talent, I think is the difficult part and make sure, making sure that you're fostering an development that allows them to grow and then making draftings and signings that fit with those young guys, I think is the difficult part, especially when you're competing with 29 other teams. So I get that. And then once you factor in the market, like I get that a team like Charlotte has to overpay for talent. Like they're never going to be in the running for like a LeBron James or a Giannis in terms of free agency. Right. So their path is hitting on under the radar signings, drafting young guys, or when they have veterans in a rebuild stage, trading those guys for picks that can turn into more young talent or picks that can trade into a trade package to get a disgruntled guy. So I think they, there's so much internal development that has to be done. Um, it's a difficult job and it's important. And patience, I feel like, is probably the most important portion of that job. Like Making sure that you don't strike just because you can strike. You're striking because it's time to strike. And in the instance of Charlotte, I'm not sure that it was time for them to strike. Yeah. And for it. I get the argument for striking, but who they struck with and how that, um, you know, how that goes with their young core, I think is interesting. Again, drafting on Yeka Kongu, signing Danilo Gallinari when you have John Collins extension eligible right now. And there are already questions about John Collins. Is he a four? Is he a five? That kind of thing. And just to have a clink on the roster, he's pretty strictly a five. So, I mean, just that's also what I mean. Like, bringing in talent is one thing. Bringing in talent that complements your core pieces is more important. So the reason why I'm kind of iffy on Atlanta's offseason, aside from just the pure talent that they added, is how does this complement what they want to accomplish? If Trey Young is your pillar, 
you need to surround him with two-way talent. If you're not sure John Collins is that two-way talent, bring in Danilo Gallinari doesn't really help that either because he's probably a worse defender than Collins. I mean, he may add more on-ball creation and more shooting, but that still doesn't really solve your issue. You know, Clint Capella helps with that. He's a good rim protector. But again, we have to see him. So it's just interesting to see like how Atlanta is going to build this thing out. No, for sure. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, one thing too, like going back to kind of the patience thing, I talked to executives about it and asked like, why? I mean, obviously it's a different situation by situation, but I've asked like, why do those kind of moves happen? And again, they usually mention ownership pressure, you know, executives kind of fearing they're going to lose their job. So they make these moves. But another thing they've told me is like, it's, it's very frustrating being in a losing situation, a losing atmosphere where year after year, you know, you're struggling and the team's losing almost every night. And, you know, you, you want to rush things because as much as like fans get frustrated when a team is struggling and losing, it's not like being in the building every day and being part of that team and going through, you know, a ton of losses. So I get why there's the, the thought of, Hey, even though, this may not be the best move for us, or even though this does make us a contender, at least we're better and we can become a playoff team. I think it's one of those things like, because I mean, I, I definitely have the same kind of questions. I don't really understand it. But then once you're in the building, I think that it's just kind of a different feeling and the pressure is different. So I'm not a huge fan of, of Charlotte's offseason either. And I'm also, I'm not a huge LaMelo Ball fan. I mean, we talked about this on a previous podcast with Matt Babcock. Uh, I, I feel like he's he's a talented player. My issues are more in terms of off the court and just kind of how he carries himself and things I've heard about him and stories like that. So, I mean, I, I'm worried about, uh, I think he'll be talented and he'll be good. I just don't know if he's a guy that where that translates into success for the team. And I don't know if he's going to be, you know, the best locker room guy. So I don't know. I just have a lot of questions about Charlotte's off season. And I'm, I'm kind of with you in terms of the Hayward contract, but also some of the other moves they made as well. Nikias, I want to thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for doing this. You've been great to work with at basketballnews.com. Your articles have been terrific. And I'm excited for you to have your own podcast soon. I'm excited for you to launch that. And it's been awesome working with you. Oh, man. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be on board. Um, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast for the first time. Absolutely, man. We got to do this again. And yeah, you've been crushing it. Everyone, if you're not reading Nikaias' articles, make sure you change that because he's been doing a fantastic job. Not only, you know, previewing uh, playoff series and, and different matchups, but then also reacting to different moves that happen, whether it's trades or signings. Uh, and his film studies are, are fantastic. Basically, he watches film uh, and just breaks it down, you know, and really does a fantastic job. You will be you will become a smarter basketball fan if you read Nikaias' stuff. And make sure you follow him on Twitter too, at NBA. And if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are found. And until next time, thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to stay safe. At greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, which are all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners get 10% off their order when you use the promo code ALEX at checkout. That's A-L-E-X for 10% off your order. They have KN95 masks, cloth masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit greensupply.com today. That's greensupply.com.